Yeah, hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to Beyond Eight Figures. This is AJ, the journeyman entrepreneur, with another Beyond Eight Figure episode for you. On the show, we talk with top entrepreneurs about the realities of building an eight-figure business, what success really means to them, and hear from them about some of their winning strategies and tactics. Tune in to each episode to learn how to grow your business beyond 10 million, and more importantly, create your own personal legacy. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode. Today is a lot of fun because our guest today <laughs> is doing some incredibly cool things and looking at some of the adventures he's taking these days is just, uh, but he's doing it through a combination of really cool business practices. So here, let me introduce Bakaria Kill, who's the managing director of Graves Hall, his investment firm. He's also founded Confedor, which is a platform to sort of promote uh, digital nomadism, which is really cool. And he's doing this all whilst being a uh, visiting professor at Cornell's MBA program. So, you know, very simple, low-key life. Bakari, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you very much. And just for a point of clarification, I am a, yeah. a visiting lecturer. I, I wouldn't want to describe myself as a professor. Give me a, a bit too much sure. status. <laughs> yeah. Well, very cool. And Cornell is a great mm -hmm. school and I have friends who went there and yeah. So before we get into too much about your entrepreneur, I mean, as a New Yorker too, I've seen some lines you've said about your rent and comparing to travel. How did you get into deciding you were going to go on this digital nomad one year abroad? Yeah. So I've always been interested in being a digital nomad is very in vogue, right? It's one of the things that people, yeah. particularly people who work remote would love to do, live outside of the country. I think a lot of times when people can contemplate doing it, it's a lot of like doing it on your own. And so having to figure out how to set up a lot of the apparatus to make it happen. And I was very concerned about trying to do that, like setting up a work abroad situation all on my own. Yeah. The whole thing fell apart. It'd be on my shoulders. I would have no sort of support system or staff for anybody who would understand what I was trying to do. To me, that felt like a really bad move. And so as a result, I just was resigning myself to just staying in New York, paying what I'm paying in rent. It's not like New York is the worst city in the world, right? Like you're still in New York. But yeah, I, I would love that, love, had the opportunity to live abroad. And so I was talking to one of my friends who's like a world traveler. He goes outside of the country like all the time. And I was asking him about how he pulls it off. And he said, hey, you know what? You should consider this program called Remote Year. And pretty much from the moment he said the phrase Remote Year, I was like sold. I was like, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like, what? I'm yeah. guessing this is a program where they set up all of your trips for you and you get to live outside the world. Like I hadn't even gone on a website. I figured out what it was just from the day. Yeah, you do. <laughs> I was like, I got it. And so I looked online and all of the reviews checked out and everything about it checked out. And for the most part, I was just like sold. And so I think that was in March of this year when I learned about it. And by July, I was on a plane flying to uh, Cape Town, which is where I started my remote year. So lived in Cape Town, South Africa for a month. Then I flew up to Athens, Greece, where I lived for a month. Last month, I was in Valencia, Spain. And this month, I'm in Istanbul, Turkey. And the next month, I'll be in India. And so, yeah, I was individually on my own, not trying to pull this entire thing off. But because the we're all here, they set up the whole thing. Your flights are handled. Your uh, housing is handled. They set up things for you to do in the country. They set up classes for you to get introduced to the culture and the experience of being in that country. Like, they set this whole apparatus up for you, and then you just go out. 
and explore and enjoy, including a workspace for you to work from if you need to. And so, yeah, they really set the whole program for you. And so I've been really enjoying my time at Remote here. Cool. Well, as someone who I have two more kids still at home, my oldest just went off to university. So I'm kind of like, wow, maybe in five years, this could be pretty nice. That does yeah, sound and, very, very cool. I'm very jealous. I would say to anybody who is looking at themselves and saying, hey, you know, I'm older than Bakari, so maybe I'm not able to pull this off. There are people on our trip who are in their early 20s and there are people on our trip who are in their late 50s. So it's, it's no age demographic that's really like defining who can be on this trip. As long as you have the flexibility to do it with your job and your income and your timing where you don't need to be back in the States. And, and if you do need to fly back to the States, like for instance, as you mentioned, I, I'm a lecturer at Cornell. At the end of this month, I'm flying back to Cornell to do my session with the MBA students before flying back to the trip. It's not like once you leave the country, you've now been barred from it. Yeah, <laughs> you, know, you, can fly, you can fly back in and out. And luckily, if you decide to do that, it's if you fly in and out, you're in the country for an entire month. So it's not like you're cutting your vacation short. You're just flying out for like a couple of days and then flying back to like where you're actually yeah. based which is something that a lot of the people on our trip do uh, frequently when they need to um, handle business matters back in the States. Well, I want to come back to digital nomadism and this, mm -hmm. but first let's kind of talk about how you see yourself as an entrepreneur. Where are you on your journey? Mm -hmm. Because as someone who's been trying to acquire a company and as I keep jokingly, I've been a bridesmaid, but never the bride a few times <laughs> here, you've had a couple of really good Acquisition burlap company, is that right? You led the acquisition of that. You have them. Where are you on your entrepreneurial journey? Yeah. So, so far, so Gravesaw Capital is a private investment firm. We've uh, completed two deals so far. The first is I bought a burlap bag manufacturing company called NYP Corp in partnership with a private equity mm -hmm. firm. A uh, year before that, I bought an educational technology company with a family office. And so I've been doing deals like that. I've also worked for major corporations as director of corporate development or head of MA, where mm -hmm. I've been responsible for acquiring companies on behalf of them. And so where I would say I am in my entrepreneurial journey right now is I'm still actively in the business of looking for companies to buy, talk with business owners, brokers, and investment bankers. Even while I'm doing this trip on a weekly basis, I'm engaged with those types yeah. of people and with investors and lenders as I'm organizing that capital to pull the, um, like I'm actively right now in the middle of completing an, an acquisition. And so as a result of like my work as an entrepreneur is the finding of good companies, organizing that capital and acquiring those companies and ultimately exiting those companies in a couple of years. I would say, I would say most entrepreneurs would look at me as at the end of an entrepreneurial journey, right? Like I sit on the board of directors, the business has been operating for decades. It's on autopilot from a perspective of like generating cash, like the product that it serves to its, to its customers, they see it as a critical resource um, that they're looking forward to using. And so, they are locked in with this business. So it's very unlikely that this business will have the shocks that disrupt its revenue flow going forward. So there's that. But then as a private investor, I would say I'm at the beginning of my journey. I'm building out the firm that will ultimately be like a major, you know, hundreds and hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars under management. And so it starts with like a couple of good successful deals and a great track record mm -hmm. and people aware and liking the story that of what I've accomplished. Yeah, making some assumptions of the type of what you're doing with, you know, hunting and finding these companies. It seems that they have a whole management in place. It seems this. So 
are you looking to create a, your own private equity or is this more of like whole co roll up, whole co type direction? Just more of where is this going as you continue on? Sure. So when I came into the search fund world, my approach was to buy just one company that was going to run full time as CEO. And so I have not yet sat in the CEO chair. And so, and that's a goal of mine at some point is to buy a company that will run as CEO. And when I'm talking to business owners, that's usually the story that I'm telling them, which is that's what I'm looking to, to accomplish. And that's the reason why I'm looking to buy the company. That said, I am recognizing personally that I've had success as an investor more than I have had success as an operator of an individual company. And so it's likely that going forward, investors will look to me and say, hey, Ricardo, why go and operate this successful landscaping business that you just bought? Why not just you know roll that into your portfolio and continue building out this whole mm -hmm. coal style? And the whole coal is what makes it possible for me to go and travel the world and live around with remote here in different parts of the planet. And so... For that reason, I, I'm considering what that could potentially look like, but I still have the approach when I'm talking with business owners that my goal is to buy them and run the company as CEO. And so we'll see ultimately. The reason why I didn't end up becoming a CEO of the Burlap company is because we decided that it made more sense for us to find a company, find a CEO who had operated in the textile space before. And so we yeah. interviewed a bunch of people and I um, ultimately picked the guy who I thought was really, really talented and could understand our space and understood both the sales element and the uh, manufacturing element. And so he's been running the company beautifully and we've been watching growth throughout the buying of the company. And so that's what I'm expecting um, will likely continue to play out as, as I build my career, which is why I say I'm somewhere between the beginning and <laughs> the end of yeah, the and... entrepreneurial journey. Well, let's talk about transition because I really do want to kind of, I want to play around with what it's like being an entrepreneur as a digital nomad, having been more of a location independent living abroad, but then also been in different groups where it is big. But first, let's talk about some big transitions in your own entrepreneurial journey. Like, what are some of the times where you kind of hit either a plateau or just what I always call, it's usually like a complexity where all of a sudden mm -hmm. things look like they're growing fine. You know, I remember I grew my business to like, we were just over 7 million and it was just like, everything started shaking. And it was like, no matter how little I slept, how much I worked, whatever things, I couldn't get it together. And like kind of fell down before I rebuilt. It was like, I hadn't built for the growing complexity. You know, I had yeah. a $2 million infrastructure, not a $7 million business infrastructure. It was like, hindsight looks really clear in the middle of doing it, you're not. Yeah. What are some of those moments you've had in, in sort of your growth of like things just got really difficult and what helped you kind of yeah. transition through it? So as an acquisition entrepreneur, the game I play is I'm looking for companies to buy. And I have had, as you pointed out, years go where you put together the financing, you put the structure together, you have the seller who's at the table, he's ready to do the deal. Yeah. For some reason, it doesn't happen. You know, always the bride, never the wife, uh, <laughs> exactly that same, yes. um, that same sentiment. And so that experience for me was very difficult. Like the hardest time in my journey 
happened when I had found a company that was perfect. It was exactly the type of business that we in the search fund world like to promote as being the ideal type of business. It was recurring revenue, low customer concentration, no key man risk, very sticky customers, like lots of very, a business was being bought for a reasonable purchase price. I had the SBA already locked in. And just as we're in the middle of completing this transaction, the lender starts shaking and deciding ultimately to back out the transaction. And this is sort of like on month three of a 90 day letter of intent. So on the, at the 60 day mark, which means I have to restart all of my process, trying to find a lender with a seller looking at me like, Hey, I thought the bank was going to be the easy part. And so like, you know, I I've experienced all of like the, the challenges of navigating that process. And the only thing I can ultimately say that I did through this process is something I like to quote, which is a line from a rapper who I I really admire named Nipsey Hussle. In an interview that he gave years ago, he was talking to somebody and they asked him, you know, you know, how you got to where you were going. He was like, listen, the only distinguishing quality between me and somebody else who's trying to do exactly what I'm trying to do is that I didn't give up. Like I went through every emotion. I went through pride and joy and despair and conflict and <laughs> embarrassment and betrayal. Like, are you going through all of those different emotions that you're navigating trying yeah. to get this thing done? But if you stand behind the stance that, you know, you're going to die before trying to, you know, lose this, like you're going to make, like this has to happen. There's no other way I'm going to make this particular thing happen. If you couldn't pull that kind of energy into a goal and you have the staying power when things get tough, more often than not, you'll be able to accomplish the thing you're trying to accomplish. Yeah. That's a good guiding light. I'm going to have to actually see if we can throw a little Nipsey on the show notes for it, because that would be good. It's funny, since you and I, we were talking ahead of time about friends with Elliot. That's one of, for his birthday, I put together a playlist, and Nipsey's one of his favorites, so we had that yeah. on there. All right, cool. So you kind of force her, as I always call it, I kind of like throw everything on my shoulders and just, I will force this. So you've created this other sort of platform. Plus, you've taken on, it seems like you've used this opportunity where you are looking at companies to kind of, you know, you're still being active in access. You're not just so like, it's my company, I have to find my company or not. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I sit on the board of directors of NYP Corp. And so I'm working hand in hand with the management on special projects and on growing that business. And so that's like a full effort that I'm I'm focused on to try to grow special elements inside of our company to like I like it's the biggest part of my net worth. It's a huge company, it's 30 million in revenue, 80 employees, yeah. locations all around the United States. It's a fantastic business and uh, I wanted to see it really, really ramp up um, even beyond where it's been for the generation since it's been uh, in business. And also on a day-to-day basis and engaging in the market, I'm looking and speaking with business brokers, investment bankers, and business owners about companies that are on the market for sale. And so I have a portfolio and then I have a, an investment style. Well, let me see if I can ask this question, because it's funny. I'm starting to get these questions from some private equity and some specialized firms. So they're like, well, while you're looking, would you be interested in either evaluating or maybe even transitioning, basically operating into these things? Was it the investors coming to you or you deciding, hey, this was a good opportunity? Was it right for you to take over as your baby, but yeah, you know, your mm-hmm. company as a CEO, but it was still a really good opportunity and you saw that you could put the numbers together and make it all and find the person to do that? 
was it a chicken and egg? Like, was it the investor saying, hey, since you're doing this, we'd be interested in backing you? Or did you just say, wow, this is such a good opportunity. Even if it's not right for me, it would be stupid not to do something with this deal. Because took the search and went a little bit, you know, you kind of took advantage. You, know, you played mm-hmm. a little judo with it, it seems. Yeah, I mean, for me, I started this process for the goal of buying that company and being CEO. Ultimately, I can't dictate the terms of the capital that I source, right? I can negotiate with those terms, but there were some things that were inflexible. And when you're dealing with a private equity firm, they're not necessarily comfortable with a brand new, they don't want a lot of change, basically. And and stepping in, buying a company and running that company as a first-time CEO in a very complex industry, I think from them was... Like they were comfortable with the acquisition, but not comfortable with the idea of changing the management into the hands of a newcomer. And the alternative was not like, um, you don't get to be CEO and you don't get anything. No, the, the alternative was actually a very good alternative. We were able to structure a deal that really worked in my favor while simultaneously allowing me to be a, a huge benefit to the company. Now, it doesn't result in me being CEO, which I think ultimately is a role that I would like to play at some point in my professional career. But this is not a bad ending <laughs> by any means. No, you know, no. I'm in, they're like, I'm in Istanbul, you know, I got a great company. I'm supporting my ambitions and capital available for me when I want to go out and do another deal. And so to me, it's a fantastic ending. It's the type no, of ending I, I think a I, lot of people wait most of their life to get to. Yeah. And I think that's kind of cool is that you took advantage of the work you were doing and you had an intellectual flexibility that kind of allowed you to kind of look at an opportunity and not just hold it as it has to be X, Y, or Z. You were like, oh, you know what? Maybe it is. And yeah, that's really impressive. And I like that it kind of helps you continue going on because usually the story is, oh yeah, I was a CEO. And then now I kind of invest into these things and I kind of find them. It's like, no, you kind of flipped it on its head and Mm -hmm. it's a nice acceleration. Let's go back because this is one of the things that I like that you're doing. And one, I'm just going to start with the line I heard you use in another podcast, just about comparing the rent that you used to pay compared to like in New York City, as in someone who spent 25 years in New York City before about six years ago, moving to Spain and now back Mm. in the States. New York City is one of the best places on the planet, Mm -hmm. but it's sort of like... I always call it like Bikram. Once you leave like Bikram yoga, it's like Mm -hmm. so hard to get going in New York City. But once you're going, you feel great. There's always something. There's always amazing people. There's Mm -hmm. amazing food. There's just energy. But the moment you leave, you're like, especially if you go someplace cool, you're like, it's so much easier. (laughs) So how are you finding being an entrepreneur now? What's changing the networking, the work? the style of work you have to do to kind of with the chain. How are you finding being a digital nomad impacting you as an entrepreneur? I think right now it's more affecting my view on being a human being and being a citizen of the planet and better understanding being an American and what it means to be an American in the eyes of uh, citizens of other countries. I think that's having a bigger impact on me than like the entrepreneurial side of things. As an entrepreneur, mm-hmm. my business is a rock solid business that requires my attention on a weekly basis, but not on a daily basis. It requires engagement with the leadership of the business, but not necessarily with the front lines 
And so it's not taking up an enormous amount of like of the mind share when I'm off, off work. Then there's the work of trying to find companies for sale. And I've always been virtual. Like I remember telling somebody that there's, and it's still the truth actually come to think of it, is that I did a deal with the family office the entire deal structured, put together the financing for it, the whole nine deal closed. And I never, I had never ever been in the same room with this financier. <laughs> Me like yep. funded the whole nine. And to this day, uh, that deal closed almost two years ago. And to this day, I have still never been in the same room with this guy. <laughs> and yet we completed an entire transaction together, talked on a weekly basis every single day. So as an investor, it's important to be on location to see the business and evaluate it. But when you're evaluating these companies, you're not flying to see these companies every single day. You're not trying to be all up in the CEO's face no. all the time. You really need to come there and make sure that the operations actually exist, that somebody's not selling you a business that actually is not there. Like <laughs> I remember, and it's a, just to give it like a highlight example, I remember a story once where I went to I went to meet a business owner, um, and he told me to come meet him at his at his company, and so he hadn't sent me any financials up until this point, but I saw online that it had a website, and I wasn't certain too certain about the entire operation, but I was like, okay, I'll go see him. And you said you lived in New York, so so you'll probably understand. Like he was inviting me to meet him in a neighborhood out in Queens. And when I get to this neighborhood in Queens, it's completely residential. And the business that we were talking about was a huge like service uh, industry type business. So I'm walking yeah. down, I'm thinking to myself, where is a super, where is this factory going to be? And I make a right and then I'm walking into his house and I'm like, okay, I didn't realize he was inviting me to his house. So I get to the house, I'm thinking maybe at some point we're gonna go check out the business. And he's like, oh, Actually, you know, the business dissolved a couple of day, a couple of weeks ago. We decided ultimately to shut the business down, but I still have the uh, brand name. So if you want to like buy the brand name, you figure we could work out a deal. <laughs> I was like, what are we talking? About? <laughs> this guy so me the brand yeah. name. Someone, as someone yeah. who's born in Queens, I'm from Flushing. Mm -hmm. This parts of Queens, it's just like I'm just not gonna, and not for any yeah, reason. No reason. It's just it is out in the middle of nowhere. There's right. nothing. So, <laughs> yeah. so I'm walking. Yeah, yeah, it was a that was a wild story. So yeah, that's those are some of the reasons why it's important to be on location at some point yeah. to make sure that you're you know you can actually see a physical business that's up and running. But yeah. you know, after you verify those types of things, it's not like you're in person with these things all the time. You need to you know have some meetings in person here and there. But ultimately, you know, you can run this type of a business, um, this investment business from wherever you you can find a good internet connection, strong cell phone signal. So where does kind of playing more into then that digital nomad and what's nomad noir for you? Yeah. So when I learned about remote year, the program I'm traveling with for the next 12 months, I learned about it like word of mouth. I hadn't found it through any, like I asked somebody, Hey, you know, how are you traveling? He was like, Hey, I, you should look into remote year. And I had never heard of a program like this. And I was, I was shocked that, that something like this could exist. And I didn't know about it. And I started to look into some of the advertising around it and some of the assets in the world that existed. And a lot of them were coming from 
I didn't see many from Black people who were involved in the program or who were being highlighted as a part of the program. Not because Remote Here was somehow saying, no, we don't want Black people. They absolutely wanted Black people. And it's a very diverse program. They actually do have a decent amount of uh, yeah. cultures and ages that are represented in their programs. It's just nobody had really taken a deliberate approach to highlight the experience for this particular demographic. And so um, Nomad Noir, for me, is a way for me to inspire um, Black digital nomads to pack up their home office and work abroad. And I'm showing what my like real true lived experiences are, both from you know the experiences navigating remote here, but also my experiences with the people on location. So like I, I just released a video called um, My Three Greek Dates Turned Ruins. Yeah, there was or one or something like that. <laughs> Yeah, and, go to the uh, ruins. <laughs> yeah. And it's sort of a play on the fact that we go to see some ruins, right? We go to one to uh uh to the rock that's right below the Parthenon where Paul gave his yeah, speech. Then we went to I went with someone else to the ancient Agora of Athens and walked around with her um, through that area. And then I went with another to the Parthenon and the Acropolis or the Acropolis and the Parthenon. And just showing what like my interactions are like with like people who actually live in Greece and what it's like to, you know, interact with a Black person to them and me interacting with them as uh, citizens of uh, yeah. of that country. And so, so that's sort of the work that I'm engaged in, not necessarily on behalf of Remote Year, though I get some compensation when people decide to sign up. And there's like, I think I provided you yeah. guys with a link that if you sign up through that link, you, uh, you'll get like $100 off of your trip if you decide to take it. And But it's not necessarily on behalf of Remote Year, but it's more on behalf of like Black digital nomads who, who do have the option to travel and live abroad, but just haven't made that decision on their own. And so providing and creating content for them to, to see that as more likely and possible. So given your dates and all that, you know, you're still out there looking, you're young, you know, and you're thinking <laughs> someone with a little more gray here, but like, do you see this just ongoing? Do you just want to continue on until you find something and that, or well, you know, how long well, do you the, see this going for you? The remote year um, trip that I'm on right now is a defined period of time. It's 12 months. And so it's a, a year where I get to go literally see the world. So I've, I've spent time in Africa. I've spent time in Western Europe, Eastern Europe. Right now, I'm technically in Asia. So as you know, Istanbul is split into two sides. Oh, you're on side, yeah. the European side. Oh, you're on, I'm on the Asian okay. side. And so technically I'm in Asia right cool, now, yeah. then I'm going to be in India. So I'll be officially on <laughs> in Asia soon. And then from India, there's a question on whether or not I'm going to go directly to Thailand or if I'm going to go to uh, Kenya. So I would go to Kenya, Tanzania, and then come up to do Asia. And then after Asia, do Latin America and from Latin America, come back to the States. And so there's a question about how that's going to necessarily play out. We'll see. But yeah, that's it's literally just like this side away for me to... I think a lot of times people make roots in the country that they live in, not for any other reason other than the fact that they haven't lived anywhere else. And so um, I think this little sampling other parts of the world and seeing what it's like to be there will give me a more... If I ultimately... Wherever I ultimately decide to stay, it'll be yeah. an informed decision. Yeah. I laugh because... A little bit older, but like when I was a kid, younger, yeah, mm -hmm. I did an exchange program in Ecuador. I studied in Budapest in college. Mm -hmm. I did a year in Copenhagen for business school. I worked in London for a bit. And for me, it was like, okay, I know I wanted to be abroad. So that's when Spain, the opportunity for Spain came around. But I think nowadays with the digital nomad and as it expands and 
programs like, yeah, Nomadier, and there are some others, but they're probably the most organized for traveling it. It really is so cool because I think it makes it so much easier. Like you said, yeah, like since we both know Elliot, I'll just use him as an example. I'm just going to, I'll try not to make fun of him on this, but like <laughs> literally I started talking to him about the time I was planning to come back from Spain to the U.S. was when he was planning to leave Atlanta to go down to Colombia. Yeah. yeah. And so it was like, and I've been listening to him as he's gone through that first crazy year of like <laughs> everything not quite working the way it's supposed mm -hmm. to. It's like, yeah, that's the expat travel. Yeah. You know, but he's not quite that. You know, it's like when you have to deal with visas, when you have to deal mm -hmm. with the banking system, when you have to deal yeah. with like being in a place, but he's incredibly happy there. And that's mm -hmm. it. And, would you see yourself in that down the road? Yeah, you know, when you have a reason to be kind of. I'm not certain. I, uh, as of right now, I don't have to interact too much with the banking systems, and my visas are all like visiting visas as opposed to like uh, yeah. all star trade or stays. Yeah. And so, for most part, they're pretty easy to get as an American. I would say that's another thing that I, I didn't appreciate about an American passport. It's not like it's the strongest passport in the world. Um, I think right now it's somewhere between Japan and a couple other um, other countries. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's surprising to realize how, like, I made friends with people who were um, in Africa and they had the flexibility in their schedule to be able to fly wherever they wanted. If they wanted to be digital nomads, they could. But if they wanted to come to Europe, they had to go through a whole, like, extra bit of work to for their passport to work in Europe as easily as it was for me to just like show up and get the Schengen stamp and, <laughs> and just jump right in the go in, into Greece and go and go see it. And so I think it, I was always aware of the privilege that comes with having certain passports, but it's different when you start to experience and interact with people who have the lived experience of like owning that passport and what privileges it provides and doesn't provide. It's an interesting challenge and an interesting problem that human beings have created for ourselves where some are not able to go to some parts of the, the planet. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it is so a crazy, privilege, but... definitely. Yeah, for everything, America does give you the privilege, even if you have to spend half the time explaining to other people what's going on in your own country. <laughs> like I did feel like, yes, I'm the token yeah. American. I know everything that's going on in my country. Let me explain. Yeah. Other than that, um, it is really nice that you can go. It's like Istanbul, yeah, or sorry, Turkey, you fly in and it's like, yeah, you got to get a visitor visa when you land. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it came in, you know, yeah. 10 bucks, 12 bucks, whatever. Then it was like, okay, it's fine. And I knew other people because I was at a conference once there and it was like, mm -hmm. yeah, I had their three months of paperwork. And I'm like, right, get my passport. I gave them. <laughs> yeah. I gave them. Yeah. It's... When I landed in Turkey, I handed them my passport. I gave them 20 bucks. They put a sticker inside of it. And I yeah, 20 bucks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was the visa yeah, process. So... I was like, okay. Yeah. yeah. It's, a, it's a wild, well, wild truth. So you have some very cool videos. And I would love to give a shout out. So did you hire this video company? Are you partners with them? What's this? Because you have a video company that you work with. For that, because the videos are really good, well edited, yeah, and stuff. So, so who are my yeah. my producer is Taj Lewis, who runs a uh, production company based in New York. 
And yeah, he's fantastic. So if anybody's looking for that type of quality and content to be done, can absolutely connect you with Taj, who likes doing that type of work. He's not only that, he's also a good content idea generator. And so, you know, we work together really closely on like figuring out like storylines and all that type of stuff to, to really tell this uh, and, and make it interactive and entertaining for uh, for audiences. Well, look, we'll put a show note to him because, yeah, I mean, as I was saying, the videos are really good. And I was I was very much enjoying some of your adventures on that. So besides going to check out Nomad Nor, or here, better yet, what if the audience, given that, yeah, we have business, you know, this is an audience of business owners, usually in this, you know, seven figures. If they're interested, are you looking for specific types of companies? What would be a good reason for someone to reach out to you? Yeah, I say the first, depending on who you are, the first thing I would say is I'm actively in the market looking for companies to buy. And so if you're looking to sell your company, that's a good reason to have a conversation with me. But also if you're looking to buy a company and you want to have a conversation with somebody who knows what it's like to get it done and would like some advice about the type of business that you're working on. I have conversations with people on a daily, weekly basis, um, helping them think through um, the different parts of their potential acquisitions. And so can be very helpful there and can also point you to people who are in my network, people like Elliot, who we've mentioned a few yeah. times, um, and others who can provide um, guidance on due diligence and guidance on legal matters and guidance on financing and can provide financing and all those types of things. Separate from that, if you want to talk about being a digital nomad and joining remote year, let me know. You can you can always have a conversation about that. And I would say those are probably the two big things that are happening right now. I'm working on a memoir, um, and that's a part of like my travels right now. Is yeah. putting those to paper and um, and ultimately getting those reviewed. And so, yeah, those are those are the pieces. Well, cool, Bakari. I mean, look, yeah. I'll make sure we all this will be in the show notes. Everyone, we'll put it up in our socials. So, you know, and then also in the newsletter when it goes out, but you're doing such a cool thing. And I like how they speed together. It's a passion play, you know, for the drinking one, but it does seem like it's a very nice flywheel to kind of put it together. So I'm excited to see what you do. And definitely let me know when the book comes out. We'll kind of push around, if not have you talk about it, because I, I have a soft spot for digital moment. I mean, it's, I love it. And I'm kind of missing, I mean, I love being that close to family. I don't know why I look out the window because my family's not. But still, I like being back in the States, being close to family. But I do yeah. miss the ease. I mean, being outside the state sometimes is really nice just to better understand. Yeah, the differences are small and kind of fun. Everyone, everything seems to be more of this. Yeah, we're all pretty much the same. And I think, especially in this world right now, and not go too far in it, it just seems people forget that. So when you live abroad, you get that great experience of like, Okay, why are we so worried about this? <laughs> really? Not there. Fair point. Well, Bakari, thank you so much for coming on. I'm really excited thank to you, see what you do with this. And hopefully, you know, we someone on the show today is listening and has that company for you. As long as you can continue doing as a digital nomad, I think it would be very cool. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Thank you again for coming on the show. I greatly appreciate thank it. Thank you. Thanks, Adrian. Bye-bye. All right. Hey, everyone. Thank you for listening to this. Please go check out nomadnord.co for Bakari, yeah, for his adventures. We'll put some of the links to his investment fund and from his companies. If you want to just check out and buy some burlap bags. But at the end of the day, if you enjoyed today's show, please give us a review. 
platform of your choice, whatever. So that way we can bring other really cool entrepreneurs like Bakari on the show. And, you know, we get to uh, learn a little bit more about different ways of kind of enhancing our own entrepreneurial journey. So everyone, thank you very much. And I can't wait to uh, talk to you again. Bye-bye. This episode of Beyond Eight Figures is over, but your journey as an entrepreneur continues. So if we can help you with anything, please just let us know. And if you like this episode, please share it with someone who might learn from it. Until next time, keep growing and find the joy in your journey. This is AJ, and I'll be talking to you soon. Bye-bye.